Welcome to the Chinchilla Picking Podcast. And uh, Dave's not here with me. This is actually just a special episode. I'm sorry if you hear Taylor Swift going on in the background. My my girlfriend's got something going on in the other room. Um, so you may you may hear some T Swift happening in the background. Hopefully it's not interrupting too much. But uh, yeah, so I'm here without Dave. A special episode. Wanted to cover the um, upcoming IPO of Birkenstock and then also the IPO of Instacart that happened last week. Uh, just uh, wanted to go over these things real quick with you guys and get, get this special episode done. Uh, it was supposed to actually be out Wednesday. Um, sorry about that. Uh, was a little bit late, obviously, behind on this. Was trying to get this uh, episode out right when the iron was hot on the Instacart IPO, but uh, missed, it. missed it there. Didn't know enough about Instacart at the time. I didn't know enough about Birkenstock either, so I wanted to dive a little bit into those companies. Make sure I actually know what I'm talking about when I do this show. Uh, oh, I forgot the introduction. I'm supposed to be educational or fun or something and entertaining. I don't know. Whatever. Hey, if I'm not educational, if I'm not fun, uh, if I'm not entertaining, if we're not all having fun here, I don't know who you should complain to. I don't know. I'm just the uh, I'm just a host. I'm just a producer. I'm just an editor here at this podcast. So what do you want? I don't know. Maybe go complain to Megan Brown. She does the art for the show. I, don't, I mean, at least she might listen because I've I certainly won't. <laughs> but yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And obviously we, we had the um we had the information come out, the big, big news of Cisco buying out Splunk. That's gonna be covered on our next episode. It's fine. Um that I'm saying that. I know we normally don't talk about the show before we do the show. Dave doesn't normally know what I'm about to say, but it's okay because he doesn't listen to this podcast anyways. So this is a good spot for me to really just hide everything I'm going to tell him. I can just mention it right here. He's never going to know. It's fine. Let's get into the IPO market a little bit because it's been really, really, really soft. Nobody's really wanted to go uh, public Arm tested the waters out a little bit. It was successful on the first day. It's came back down uh, to a little bit below its IPO price since then. Cart did the same thing, Instacart. Uh, when you jump on your brokerage platform, depending on which one you're using, you might see Instacart come up as Maple Bear. That's because that's the parent company. The actual name of Instacart was Maple Bear uh, when they first um, introduced themselves. Now they're Maple Bear doing business as Instacart. So uh, don't get confused if you pull them up on your brokerage and see uh, Maple Bear. I think uh, Robinhood actually says Maple Bear doing DBA, which is doing business uh, as uh, Instacart. So not as confusing with them. At least they're doing one thing right, right? But when it comes to the IPO market, the thing is it's really, really soft right now. But once we kind of turn this corner and it becomes more evident, uh, you know, that we may be entering into the next business cycle, once all systems are go, if we have a recession, once that's behind us or once the evidence shows up that we're not going into a recession or we haven't been in one, whatever, bull mode rushing forward at this point in time, the IPO market is going to get hot, very hot. There are at least 1,400 private tech companies worth $1 billion or more 
waiting for a favorable IPO market. According to Brian Lynch, head of Market Insights at EquityZen, which is an online marketplace for private stock. But right now, super, super cold. And that's why many eyes were on the IPO of Instacart and um, the IPO of Arm the week prior. The people who have watched have been very disappointed, I think. Um, now, when it comes to them selling their shares uh, to the market, they've been relatively successful. It was a huge pop for both Instacart and um, and for Arm on the first days of trading. Not so good for investors, not so good for people who have to hold the shares after buying it You know, in the IPO market. They have to hold it for 180 days. It's not so good for them. It's It's been meh. So you're looking at Instacart popping over 30% on the first day, only to give up all those games, gains on the second day. Arm popped 25% on its first day, almost immediately to give up all those gains as well. The in interesting thing about Instacart, I think you're looking at this and you're thinking like, hey, maybe when you do your IPO, strike when the iron's hot. Because, you know, just a couple of years ago, Instacart was targeting a valuation of $39 billion. But then they slashed it to $24 billion. And then they slashed it to 10. Because it turns out that the new normal we were all talking about in 2020 and 2021 was anything but normal. And the growth that was experienced by companies like Instacart was not sustainable. But I will hand them this. They did reach their goal of becoming profitable prior to going public. They succeeded at that. Uh, last year, they earned $428 million in profit. Now, if you look at the year before, they were $73 million in the red. Uh, so big turnaround here. And the plan to become profitable started with layoffs. But then it, it became about shifting their business away from low margin delivery services to higher margin online advertising. Ads generated about 30% of the company's income last year. That equates to $740 million. The company's ad business also allows other companies. I think this is interesting because you can pitch your products to consumers while they're shopping, which is huge. This is something that like, you know, you're kind of having your own retail associate inside the store, but it's a customer online shopping and it pops up and, it, you know, it's advertising to them right there. I think that's that's very beneficial. That's something that it, it will be interesting to see in the future how much Instacart can grow their ad business based on that. And given the grocery orders during the first half of this year have been roughly flat year over year, the shift into ads could really continue as their market share for grocery orders seems to be slowing the question is, is does that make up for it? Does that justify the valuation that was given and given to uh, Instacart? Um, can we really see them continue to shift uh, their business model into more ads or will the grocery orders start to pick back up again? One of the believers in Instacart has been PepsiCo. And PepsiCo agreed to buy $175 million in preferred preferred convertible stock as a part of the IPO. Other companies and investment firms such as Norgis Bank Investment Management, Sequoia Capital, uh, D1 Capital Partners, Valiant Capital Management, they all agreed to participate in the IPO as well as Cornerstone Investments. Sequoia 
taken a little bit of a short-term hit here on their balance sheet. They invested in 2021 when Instacart's valuation was closer to $39 billion. They put some money into it then. So taking a big hit as far as that goes, but fortunately for them, the 2021 offering that they invested in was just a small portion of the 51.2 million shares they already own. And they'd been investing in Instacart since 2013 at 24 cents a share. So they're just kind of cost averaging up here. Still a lot of runway for profit here as far as Sequoia goes. I do want to revisit this situation with the new normal real quick, though, because back in 2021, Instacart finance chief Nick Giovanni said this year, ushered in a new normal, changing the way people shop for groceries and goods in a press release at the time. Uh, Instacart was at the time ending a quarter that had seen their revenue surge more than 200%. And now I think two years later, we kind of all realized that, uh, you know, that new normal was anything but normal. It is now profitable. But on the other hand, though, we're kind of looking at a situation where they're also coming public at a time where they're shifting their business models as uh, grocery orders have slowed. And the question, like I said, is if this trend continues, can ad sales make up for it? Uh, Too many headwinds here in both of these categories for the next six to 12 months from the macroeconomic environment when it comes to the potential of a recession. Grocery orders uh, growth will continue to slow. And I think ad spend is going to be tough to come by uh, in the next six to 12 months, especially if we have persistent inflation. Both of those things, just just a little rough for me. It is not a super high valuation right now. We're, you're paying around 20 times earnings. That's not huge for a recent, uh, recently IPO'd company, but I think it's kind of a, a call out to how people are approaching IPOs and how people are approaching valuations right now. Uh, in this kind of market, valuation matters. You're not going to get a 40% uh, or 40 times earnings on an IPO that's not growing enough to justify it. So right now the market's assigned at 20 times earnings, which I think is relatively fair, but not undervalued and, and not, uh, you know, there's no margin of safety on this for me to get into it with the kind of headwinds that I think are still facing it. Instacart and during a time period in which I think they're they're shifting their business model. So too many head ones there. So that's my verdict on, on the Instacart IPO. I'm staying away from it right now. You know, money talks. So that's not to say that if it comes down to a PE of like 10 or 11 or something like that, I might jump into it if people oversell it that far down. Um, that would, uh, you know, kind of at this point in time, it would result in the stock being cut in half from the IPO, which is possible, but that's really the only time I'm really looking at like having a decent margin of safety on this before I jump into it. Just because, I mean, it's an IPO. We're only seeing three years of, of, of numbers on, on this company that is, that's gone public. I, I don't have five to 10 years to look back at it. So, but, uh, that's a, as far as, uh, Instacart goes. Now, there's another company that's exploring becoming public. I didn't know that uh, Birkenstock was actually started in 1774. So huge history here, a a very large uh, history. I mean, you're looking at, you know, 250 years here, a 250-year-old company just becoming public. 
not something you see every day. And, uh, you know, started by Johan, Johan Adam Birkenstock. He was registered in 1774 as a vassal and shoemaker. I have no idea what vassal means. But he was registered in the local church archives in the small Hessian village of Langenbergheim, Germany. It was Johann's great-great-grandson, Conrad Birkenstock, that developed the first contoured insole in 1896. Birkenstock developed a reputation for footwear based on podiatry. Birkenstock considers itself a health and wellness company. Over the course of the 20th century, Birkenstock actually released many books on the benefit of their footwear, including the 1947 release of Podiatry, the Carl Birkenstock system by Carl Birkenstock. Some Birkenstocks were brought back into the United States by returning World War II soldiers, but growth in the United States really didn't start until the 1960s. Now, in 1963, Carl Birkenstock released a sandal called the Madrid. This was a shoe designed so that the wearer had to grip their toes to keep the sandals on. It doesn't sound very comfortable to me at all. It doesn't sound like anything I'd ever be interested in. But uh, this, at the time, it was meant to tone the calf muscle, and it was popular with athletes. So that was something that kind of started, you know, bringing them into the United States. But really, really what wound up being more important to the company was that they became popular with a German dressmaker that resided in California. In 1966, she decided to travel back to Germany to visit a spa in Bavaria. It was here that she was recommended to buy the Madrids to help with a foot ailment that was caused by wearing tight shoes. It worked. And when Margaret Fraser came back to the United States, she brought her love for Birkenstocks with her. She started traveling to shoe stores. She would show them the Madrids, tell them uh, the benefits of the Madrids, and say, hey, you need to start selling this. She was laughed out of most of the stores that she went into. The stores, they thought they were ugly. They didn't like them. They didn't think they'd sell. So she got an idea. And what she started doing is she started going to actually health and wellness stores. And... When she started doing that, those stores were more open, uh, more open to the idea of selling shoes that were, you know, meant for rehabilitation and podiatry and health and wellness and all of that stuff. And the result of that, if you went to a health and wellness store in the late 1960s, you would find these shoes, the Birkenstocks, in the health stores, not in the shoe stores, but in the health stores, often near the granola section. Now, the growth of Birkenstock continued throughout the United States to the point where you started to see, you know, the Grateful Dead's wearing it, you know, whatever the band name was. I think it was the Grateful Dead. They would all, always wear the uh, Birkenstocks and, and the hippies wearing the Birkenstocks and everything like that. And it got kind of into high fashion where you would start to see the celebrities in the 1990s wearing the Birkenstocks and then in 2000s. But anyways, to get those over here, Margaret founded Birkenstock Footprint Sandals. They would be the Birkenstock Distribution USA company eventually. That's what they would rename themselves to. And they would be the sole, no pun intended, distributor of Birkenstocks in the United States until 2007. And that's when the Birkenstock parent company bought them out. The crazy thing here too, I think about Birkenstock, is they remained a family-owned company until February of 2021. And that's when L. Caterton, 
and I'm probably mispronouncing that, uh, but that's a private equity firm uh, backed by LVMH. Uh, El Caterton agreed to buy the German footwear group Birkenstock in a deal that would value them around 4 billion euros, which is about 4.3 billion in US dollars. So that's where we're at right now. Uh, and now the valuation that they're targeting for the US stock market when they go public, we don't know when that's going to happen. It was estimated that it was going to happen last week. It didn't. So maybe in the next two weeks, we might see Birkenstock go public, but they're targeting a valuation of $8 billion. So is it worth it? Let's get into some of their prospectus here and some of the highlights. Revenues increased from 727.9 million euros in fiscal 2020 to uh, 1,242.8 euros in fiscal 2022. This was a 31% two-year compound annual growth rate. That's pretty good. Uh, number of units sold increased at a 12 percent cager between fiscal 2020 and 2022 gross profit margin expanded from 55 percent in 2020 to 60 percent in fiscal year 2022 my issue with that though is that it actually decreased uh by one percent it was relatively flat uh 2021's profit margin was 61 percent uh 60 percent in fiscal 2022 net margins took a big hit but i'll talk about that here in a minute now, net profit increased from 101.3 million euros in fiscal 2020 to 187.1 million euros in fiscal 2022, adjusted EBITDA growing at a 49% two-year cager from 194.8 million euros in fiscal 2020 to 434.6 million euros in fiscal 2022, with an adjusted EBITDA margin expanding eight percentage points from 27% in fiscal 2020 to 35% in fiscal year 2022. Now, gross profit margin was relatively flat uh, for the last year. What caught my eye, though, in this prospectus is if you look at the first six months, well, for the six-month period ending in March 31st, Net margin was only 6%. That's for the first, uh, or for six months uh, ending March 31st of 2023. Net margin only 6%. Compare it to the same period a year prior, it was 13%. So over, year over year there for those six months. And there's not much information based on, um, except for the full year of 2022, and then some six months periods that they've listed in the prospectus. Um, most prospectuses that I've seen list three full years of their balance sheets, but this one doesn't. So uh, looking at this, this is really all I have to go on for current net margin and gross profit margin. Relatively the same for gross profit margin, big hit on net margin so far. And uh, that that's a kind of a red flag. It's not a surprise. It's not a huge red flag. But given the fact that an $8 billion valuation would give them a price to earnings ratio of 40, meaning you're paying 40 times earnings of the past 12 months, that's just a little too high for me. Just a little too high for me. I'm, and, and I would look to see, you know, a cut in that IPO valuation if it happens. Uh, I don't think it will. 
because I think they'll get their money when they sell the day of. Um, but um, I don't think retail investors should touch Birkenstock with a PE of 40. It's an exciting company given its history, given the high fashion uh, that surrounds the company and the culture that surrounds the company. Very exciting company, but uh, not touching it at 40 times earnings. So that's what I wanted to go over today. I wanted to talk about both of those things. Talk about the uh, IPO market, why it's been soft. It's been soft because everybody expects that we're going into a recession and because of hyperinflation. But uh, man, it's really going to pick up. It's really going to pick up. If you go to retailroadshow.com right now, you only you only see one big company right now actually shopping themselves to the IPO market. You usually see somewhere between five and ten. And that one company that's shopping itself right now for a while, you saw nothing. You would go to the webpage, there'd just be nothing there. Uh, and that webpage is retailroadshow.com. Um, so keep an eye out on that. I think it'll be a good indi indicator um, as to where the market thinks we're heading. If the IPOs start piling up, then um, I think that the uh, the consensus will be all bulls go, rush, um, and, and you'll see a pretty big rally there. Uh, still calling for a recession, still think that we're going into a correction, but that's all I have for today. Those are my final thoughts. Hope I was entertaining, educational, and whatever else that Dave says. Uh, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. I will uh, see you Monday morning.